Two Girls, One Podcast is made possible by you, the listeners. And if you love the internet as much as we love talking about it, consider supporting us on Patreon. A lot of work and time go into research, recording, editing, and distributing this show. Contributing even one or two dollars per month is huge in offsetting our production costs. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash 2G1P. We'll keep making the show no matter what. But your support allows us to make it even better. Thank you so much for listening. And and enjoy enjoy the the show. You are listening to Two Girls, One Podcast, produced by The Daily Dot, a comedy show about how the internet brings us together, while simultaneously destroying our empathy and self-worth, thus paving the way for our silicon overlords. Did I mention it's a comedy show? And now here are your artificially intelligent hosts, Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg. guys, I'm Jen. I'm Allie. And welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. We're just, we're jumping into the deep end today. Mm, we are? Yeah. I would say it's the shallow end of the pool. What, with the to- with today's topic? Yeah. Okay, well, I feel like <laughs> I should tell you immediately. I mean, we're going to tell you who we are in a second, but just to tease it, um, today we're going to be looking it, at technology's effect on psychology, guys. I'm sure this is something you think about all the time. Everybody I know just I do. like zoned out and drove their car into a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I said shallow one because usually we, you know, we've looked at a lot of fetishes, Truth. as we always say, and that feels like the deep end of the pond. <laughs> yeah. So this feels more like the shallow mainstream. Sure. Like everybody can hang out in the shallow end. Yeah, we can all hang out here today. You know, everybody, there's like that rope, you know, when you can't go, when you were a kid and you couldn't go With like the, the little floaty things the, on the, it? The, yep, the yeah, floaty yeah, yeah. things. Yeah, the, the, we're all in the shallow end. It's those, a pool party. Are those buoys? That's, that's, that's a baby, really, it's a baby buoy. It's a baby buoy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, baby buoy. Oh, so, Allie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to remind the listeners that Allie's nickname is Baby A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> baby A. You might have heard it in a previous episode. Do you know what? My brother is Baby Bowie. <laughs> he is Baby B. Baby Her Bowie. twin brother. Baby Bowie. That's a story for another time. We've already told that story. We've already told it. So it, for, by another time, Jen means it already happened. You have to go back and listen to previous episodes. Boom. Which episode was it? Do you remember? I don't even remember. They all run together. It was, tr- it was trivia. Do you know? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Baby A. Do you know what fans do that I love, but it also makes me feel crazy? Our fans are fans generally. Of the podcast. Oh, okay, cool. We have fans. They're we have like, fans. We they like reference specific things that we said because they're listening when they reference it. But I'm like, oh man, I said that thing weeks ago and I don't remember what it is. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, my brain does not retain much, guys. Just Someone also you know. recently tweeted at me asking what my favorite kind of pizza is. And I was like, did I talk about pizza in a previous show? What your favorite kind of pizza is? Yeah. Uh-huh. What, did, what did you respond? Well, I haven't responded yet, and I really need to, but I was thinking about it. And um, <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> Took a few days to respond to the tweet. <laughs> She's been journaling about it. I've been thinking about it, because um, I like kind of fancy... Like, if I'm really going to be honest about my pizza preferences, I love, like, the fancy artisanal fucking pizza. You fucking do, like, thin crust? Uh, no, not thin crust, but it's, like, <laughs> doughy, and there's, like, prosciutto on it. Prosciutto. And, and some cheeses that I don't well, know what love, they like, are. Well, you love, like, ham products, so I that makes sense. I love some And cheese, you products. can't deny cheese. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like I like kind of like fancy pizzas. I'm gonna tweet back fancy pizzas. <laughs> Please mail me a fancy pizza. You know what? I like like that French bread shit from when you were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I think like ultimately that. I don't know what you're talking about. Did you ever have French bread pizza in school? It's like they cut a baguette in half. They sprinkle some like craft cheese on it <laughs> and some <laughs> shitty marinara, and that's it. Yeah, I heard nutrition was like really important for kids, and then I think back to. What they fed us? Yeah, Tater not tots, even at school. Milk. Just like in what they what kids? Yeah, they're. Anywho, <laughs> milk and tots. So okay, Who the so fuck are we? Ba- right, let's do that. No, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we need to do a whole segment on French bread pizza because uh, yeah. I think I ate that like four to five times a week. In <laughs> yeah. Elementary school. Oh my god, it would for always burn your today. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are having it for lunch. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be really fun. We're gonna lay it out and have like a make your own. You right. Know I mean? Like this baguette, you have to cut it and you have to like sprinkle the treat. The I wonder what that then... tastes like as an adult. I bet my taste buds have not changed at all. Do you know what scares uh, me? Cheese whiz. What is cheese whiz? It's whiz and cheese form. Mm, that I know no cheese and whiz form. I don't know. Oh, it's, it's cheese and whiz form for sure. Um, it's wizard cheese. Oh, it's wizard um, cheese. Okay, Ew, that sounds like so, something else. <laughs> does it? Go on. The cheese of a wizard. 
Sorry, I'm not. Anyway, you're the Harry Potter fan. Yeah, you should know. That's not a Harry Potter thing. Also, Ali told me her porn name on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah, shareable? I have a porn name. Yeah, but I didn't get the reference. Yeah, I, I was like, Jen, I want to let you know on the way here. I was like, I have, I have to tell you something. I have a porn name. <laughs> it's Golden Snatch. And then she left and I was like, you don't get the reference. You don't read Harry Potter. You don't read. <laughs> I, I like the golden part, but it's it's a reference. Also, well, my last HP. name is Goldberg, as people know. But uh, there's the golden snitch, <laughs> which you have to catch in order to win at Quidditch. So I decided that my poor name, if I would have one, is Golden Snatch. Love it. Gotta also, catch I it. want you all to know. Yeah, you go. Yeah, <laughs> the game isn't over till you catch it. <laughs> but I want you guys to know that I don't actually do porn. I know that listening to this podcast, you're probably like, little notes up in the air. Yeah, we're like the ultimate voyeurs. <laughs> Just to tell you who we are. No, we are the ultimate voyeurs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might. Yeah, some stories I'm a professional to tell. <laughs> yeah, but it's weird because like people meet me. Okay, especially I hate to bring it up, like online dating. Does this happen to you? We haven't even talked about this. When people bring up, they've seen videos, like, they've oh, read articles. Yeah, oh, I watch your video and listen to your podcast. And I'm like, well, this is weird because you've basically already met me and I haven't met you. And yeah. then they decide that I'm a freak. Before they've even met you. <laughs> and they're excited. They're like, this is a sexual freak. And, yeah. I'm, like, and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, actually, I'm just a professional voyeur. Like, I haven't tried any right. of the things, but I've seen them all. Yeah. I've watched. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. really watched. You should take the sex dungeon out of your tinder profile though that's I probably should. misleading people right. okay actually you joke but in my tinder pro- oh profile <laughs> there is a picture of me inside of a cage <laughs> which is not from the sex dungeon but it is from the armory i've Do you seen guys that picture of you yeah it's an, like an art nope what, not no. at all <laughs> what is it but it's funny because <laughs> it's a piece of art because no. Oh, no okay <laughs> so in san francisco the armory they they filmed porn there for many years oh. it's like this huge actually before it became a place of porn, George Lucas filmed some scenes there. For what? Excellent. For Star Wars. Do, would you know what scenes? I did, the porn but scenes. I forget. All right, we'll look but there's like a giant, yeah. giant auditorium. The porn scenes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two thirds into Empire. It gets really freaky. Oh my God, with those Ewoks? Yes, it does. Ellie, can you make the Chewbacca noise? <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you for uh, asking. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, the Armory they filmed Kink.com filmed there for many, many years, and it recently closed and is becoming like a Soho house or something. Of it's becoming it something is. really fancy, which of course yeah. native San Franciscans are like, oh, the ruin of our city. Whereas I just, <laughs> I always find this stuff just sort of interesting historically. I'm like, oh, now it's. Anyway, well, yeah. so you're in a cage. You could go on a tour. There, there, the final tours were happening, and so my friend and I went for like one of the last tours at the armory, and you could take photos inside the cage. So obviously, oh I did. So it was like really tame, but like, so I do have a picture of me in <laughs> a the, cage. And that's on your Tinder profile. It's on my Tinder. You're profile. Like, I don't know why people think I'm so weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am weird, and I want them to know that. But I don't want them to show up from like, Tinder thinking I'm they a, show up like with a sexual cage. Ad- <laughs> <Yeah>. adventurer. <laughs> you, you need a branding consultant, I think. To like, Do you, you want you to wanna communicate. Me? Yeah, I'll help you out. Okay, you want to communicate like you're fun and hip, but not like I sex like fetish. Yeah, <laughs> I want to communicate that I'm weird and up for anything. But up for anything can go a lot of ways. Mm, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I need to talk to a branding expert. <laughs> yeah, you do. Okay, what's your what's your message? Okay, we got to hone in on the message, and that'll be uh, twenty thousand dollars, please. <laughs> what were we talking about before the cage? The cage. And I... the sex engine. Oh, people about showing us up being on voyeurs. Dates, not voyeurs. Yeah, we were just voyeurs. Yeah. So today is a little different because often we talk to community communities that have found each other through the internet or grown. Right. But today we're talking to a professor of psychology. Yeah. Who, who just really specializes in, in technology, social media, how it affects our relationships, mm-hmm. our self-awareness, our identity. And this is pretty much our jam. So we're really excited to speak with her. You're my jam. I know. I know. Thank you. But she's my jam. Yeah. Okay. I thought. You're my golden snatch. Yeah. Okay. Great. Here. Cool. So before we get to that social media nonsense, we got to take a break. Okay. Already? Already. Matt, we didn't tell them who we are. Do you think anybody nah, cares? Fuck it. All right. Fuck you guys. All right. Wait, can we tell it in ten seconds? Go. Go. Oh, uh, we we we. Um, well, Jen fans. Time's up. Yeah. Okay. Done. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's trivia time, guys. <laughs> I became like Elmer Fudd for a second. Did you hear that? No, okay. We have a show where we perform internet checks. It's called Bloglogs. From there, we created a web series where we met the people behind the post. And then Matt saw it and was like, let's just do those interviews where you talk to people. Two Girls, One Podcast. The that more wasn't, you know. It wasn't a good explanation. But that was, was pretty good. It was quick. 
Technically, I think you said we should do the interviews of the podcast. And I'm like, I don't have time for that shit. And you're like, no, we're fucking doing it. Oh, revisionist history. That sounds right. Well, I think you were saying like that the most. So in the web series, dear listeners, we interview people behind the post and then we go on scripted shenanigans. And Matt was like, those interviews were so fascinating. Yeah. yeah, And I was like, two girls, one podcast, because the web series is called Two Girls, One Show. Agreed on all fronts. But I love the web series because of the scripted stuff, actually. Oh, I, th- I think it's just a funny you. show. Thank well, you. Thank you, Sarah. I don't thank care so about the, the boring parts. The boring. Yeah, me neither. Like this podcast. I, you know what? So let's I, get to it. I regret those boring parts. So, yeah. There's that. We got to right. take a quick break, but it is first trivia time. Yes. Trivia time. I am having PTSD from the trivia episode. I know. Well, guys, you got multiple choice it's here it's to stay Yay. Yes. Yeah. if anyone wants to send me a trader joe's gift card yeah you know what we're <laughs> my gonna... address is <laughs> uh next we're gonna petition for four multiple choice answers but that's next don't that's, worry it's not that's, today that's not in your interest that's more more that's the odds work against your favor yeah what's you want to you want to like 50 50 shot <laughs> oh. all right guys i guess you're right i am done okay <laughs> spoken like a true new yorker all right i just want more, I want more options <laughs> Today's trivia is about social media. Oh, That's pretty broad. All right. You guys remember... <laughs> Are you uh, calling a broad? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you guys remember the rich kids of Instagram trend? Rich kids of Instagram. Yes. It was just a bunch of rich kids. Posing with tigers and cars. It was totally. A, was it a TV show? Uh, I don't became know. A TV no, show. It was you're, totally... you're right. I've seen a documentary. We were next or... to each yeah. other on that plane and you watched that I documentary. I watched that documentary. Oh, the doc? about okay. the, uh, there's a doc about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I didn't realize it was a doc. It was like a trend of like really wealthy teenagers look, posing on their yachts. With their tigers. And then, yeah. yeah. And then exactly. clearly they made, maybe they made a doc. And... I didn't yeah. know there was a doc either, but now I recall that we're, we were flying somewhere. Somewhere and I watched that. You were So you're very up on this trend. Very good. Up on it. Uh, I'm assuming it's still happening. Uh, this was big in like 2016. Jen, you better get this answer right. One documentary. Actually, we're not on a team anymore, I guess, so I don't care. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> you guys can discuss. There's no and, prizes. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you want to lock in your answers together? What's the, what, do you, what do you want to do No, here? we'll do it how we used to. Yeah, okay. let's do it how we always with do it. the exception of the trivia Okay, episode. But you can agree that the an- you want the same answer, yeah. sure. if that's just happened. Yeah, okay. we know. So... <laughs> you can't have B. I chose B. <laughs> <laughs> I that would be an B. interesting dynamic but uh so aside from rich kids of instagram being just awful and gross uh it had an unintended side effect according to a 2016 report in the guardian there was a weird phenomenon that was happening when these rich kids were posting their crazy pictures on instagram was it a a significant increase in stalking related cases and restraining orders where their followers would like piece together where they were posting these things and like kind of stalk them for friendship or money i assume i'm surprised that we don't hear about that all the time i know me too right so that might have that is option a that might have been a trend uh b there was a huge black market for luxury brands that pay to be featured in the kids instagrams but they were not asking for disclosure so they were like hey wear our jewelry or a watch and but don't say it's an ad and that's against the internet's rules and also uh social media's terms of service, so that was a no-no, but their option B was there was a black market for this kind of promotion. Or C, a significant increase in authorities busting their parents for financial crimes because they were snooping on the kids' social media. Oh, this is good, Matt. Oh, shit. I, I'm going with C. Because it's the most outlandish. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with C. I, I mean, yeah, I hope it's C for those stories like that we could tell, but uh, I'm going to go with B. Okay. Jen, you're saying B, it is the, the, the black market black advertising. Black market of advertisements, And C, yeah. uh, Ali's saying you're getting busted for uh, financial malfeasance. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out the correct answer after the break. And now a real advertisement entitled, I Need a Wig from the Hair Club for Everyone. Craigslist.org. I have DUI court on the 14th and... I got drunk and watched Last of the Mohicans and ran into the bathroom and gave myself a mohawk. I refused to cut it off, but I can't go to court with a fucking mohawk! No! So, anyone have a wig? I don't care how ridiculous it is. Tell me your price. This is not a joke. And we are back. We didn't really go anywhere. That's true. We actually stayed in the exact same position. Yeah, I haven't moved. I don't think I've been like even to look in a different direction. 
Um, you know what I decided though during that ad? What? Um, I'm gonna lead with a really wholesome story sometime soon. Oh, it's just gonna be so fucking don't you wholesome. Know. Just, All right. Gonna, yeah, we're gonna <laughs> yeah. do the whole thing like this. It's gonna that makes be it wholesome. great. But you yeah. should set it up like a horrible, like a really well, dirty yeah, story. Like, it's like really so I was dirty. at the sex dungeon, and then we went for French bread pizza. <laughs> that yeah. was it. Yeah, ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys okay. want another trivia answer? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. What was going on with the rich kids of Instagram? They're posting all these pictures with tigers and yachts, and something was happening because of that in 2016, according to The Guardian. Uh, Jen, you said a huge black, black market, market for ads. fake, you know, bad ads, yeah. luxury brands. Allie, you said that their parents were getting busted for financial crimes. The correct answer is C. <gasps> I appreciate that you got so excited for me. You know what? It had to be C. I wish that was the kind of stuff you'd given us in the trivia episode. I did. There was so much to think through. Mm. You gave us so many numbers. Uh, I'm a lady. I don't like numbers. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's fucked up. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ali, congratulations. Well, I knew it had to be true. Why? Because the... The idea that it would specifically lead to this black market didn't quite make sense because that's just not, you're not allowed to do ads like that. So why would this, um, and and it happens, but I don't know what the connection would be. Well, you're not allowed to embezzle or hide your finance, your wealth <laughs> yeah, that's either. True. But the fact that rich kids of Instagram would specifically lead to that, I don't know. And then, wait, what was A? I don't even remember what A was. A was stalking. Oh, stalking. Uh, lots oh, of stalking. stalking. Yeah. <clears throat> C, just C just seems so specifically tied to right. the yeah. question. So well interestingly, done. But I liked it. I yeah, liked it a um, lot. according to this, this article in The Guardian, uh, leading cybersecurity firms said they were using evidence from social media in 75% of their litigation cases. So meaning, wow. they, you know, authorities suspected that, you know, these people, parents of financial crimes or embezzling or whatever, uh, but they didn't have evidence. So they would go to their children's social media profile to like find pictures of like this guy claimed, you know, 200 grand on his taxes, but his kids are on seven yachts. Like then they would use that as evidence of like, what's up with this? Wow. But that that is very amazing. interesting, right? Yeah, Great that is really amazing. Great well done, trivia. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. it's just so fascinating the way it's changing everything, including detective work. Yeah. Detective gumshoe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> The way that we came to get in touch with the professor that we're speaking to today is that we were looking at this trend that we'll speak about briefly with her, but Mm. we're not going to touch too much on it. But we were looking at Finstagram. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but it's fake Instagram accounts. Um, So people tend to have like the the Instagram that they put out there to the public. And then a lot of young people these days, because of things like this, like like getting college age, apparently, mostly (laughs) um, people are having like these other Instagram accounts where they're just able to be themselves and they have very limited followers, maybe like 30 followers where they can just be themselves. And the the only thing I wanted to add to that, Mm -hmm. it was lovely, is that um, because on Instagram, everybody has this like perfectly curated, fantastic life, but it isn't real. And so they have these. Right. It's interesting because they're called Finsta, like fake Insta, but they're actually the, the real, real Insta. I, yeah. I thought the same thing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. All right. Well, we got to get to our guest. Let's do it. We're so excited uh, to begin this interview with Dr. Leora Troop. She's a psychology professor at Pace University. And we're going to be talking about the intersection of psychology and technology. Welcome, Leora. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what led you into this newborn field? So I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist, so you know I was in training in the early 2000s to do therapy, and one of the first people that I worked with was a blogger, and this was really, this was before Facebook existed, um, certainly well before Facebook was open to the general public, and really before blogging was something a lot of people had even heard of, and so I learned a lot about the world of of blogging from her. And I think at the beginning, when I didn't really understand it, my inclination was to, to, to judge aspects of it, you know, ways that instead of kind of doing things in the real world, so to speak, the stuff of relationships was happening in the world of, of the blog instead. And what I came to see over time was, was that I was really missing, like to see it that way was missing uh, a really important component, which is that the, the, the online space actually offered uh, for this individual a tremendous, almost playing field, you know, for 
practicing all the things we all need to practice, you know, being in intimate relationships, trusting people, getting into arguments, working relationships out. Uh, and it, it offered a different kind of, of playing field for doing that, that actually felt, I think, much safer. And that led me to do my doctoral dissertation work on the role of attachment dynamics in blogging, uh, which is basically looked at how the way that people manage their needs for intimacy and autonomy uh, affects their, the way that they end up engaging uh, with something like a blog to, you know, to be in the world in that way. Uh, and I found that people who have more avoidant attachment styles uh, feel more hesitant about trusting others or reluctant to trust others uh, and tend to keep their distance uh, were able to, through their blogs, actually uh, find a, a greater level of disclosure and sharing and you know, being personal, talking about personal feelings and thoughts. Uh, and I found that, I just found that really fascinating that that study was called getting close from far away. And that really kind of jumpstarted my, my interest in this, in this work. Um, Lyra, for people who would have an avoidant attachment style like that, does it seem like them being on social media and blogging and doing these things could affect then their real world relationships? Like, w could they become better at intimacy through using these technologies? So I, I should, I, before I answer that, I also want to say that I found that the, the pattern for people with a more anxious attachment style, people who uh, have a lot of worries about uh, other people leaving them or uh, not being present and reliable for them and who then tend to get a little bit preoccupied with, with relationships and have a harder time kind of doing their own thing. And I found that those people, the way that they engaged in blogging was, um, was to, uh, to, was to get support from the community that they weren't necessarily getting in their, in their lives or they didn't feel they were getting in their lives. Uh, and there were some really, so, so with the, with the avoiding people, they were more likely to have a blog that was anonymous. So it was cut off from their, the people in their lives. And they would have this, this kind of closeness with people that they only knew online. And then the anxious, the more, the people with a more anxious attachment style, uh, were kind of getting a sense of validation, like a lot of validation from the blogging that, that they weren't necessarily getting offline. And then there were really interesting examples in the narratives of the ways that for some people, this was translating into their offline lives. So for example, uh, I remember somebody who talked about how when she would have arguments with her husband, she would get really flustered and, you know, he was, she thought he was smarter than her and, and more articulate. So she wouldn't, she wouldn't like be strong in stating her opinion. And then when she started her blog, she would, before she talked to her husband about something that she had strong feelings about or, or opinions about or getting into a, a debate about it, she would go to her blog and kind of talk to people in that space about it. And then she would talk to him when she was feeling more confident in her opinions and, and ended up feeling much more confident in stating them. So I love that you're talking about blogging because Jen and I have talked about how blogging has so quickly become old school, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we actually have a show called Blogologues, and when we first named it Blogologues, people were like, that's so clever. It's like blogs as monologues. And now right. people are like, what? Like, what is that name? And we're like, do we need to rebrand this? Oh but anyway, what <laughs> I want to so get sad. at is... <laughs> it's so sad. But, but Ryan, do you agree? I mean, I feel like blogging was like... Totally. First, it was like weird, and then it was like all the rage, and everyone had a blog, and, and now then it was people antiquated. are like, "What's a blog?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what I wanted to ask you was then, how did your studies and interactions with clients, etc., how did that change as we went from blogs to social media? A lot of times, especially in this field, you know, I'll be talking to someone, like I'll say, "Oh my God, Googling has changed the nature of psychotherapy because." therapists can be found and information can be seen about them by their patients that wouldn't have happened before. You know, my older colleagues will, will always kind of give me a, a like, nope, that was always true. <laughs> like you're making something out of nothing. And I, I, I think that they're having, it's a little bit of a defensive response to me, um, to say that it was always true and nothing's changed, but there's also something true to what they're saying, which is, you know, it was always the case that there were situations where, you know, you might write, run into your patient at the park when you're, I don't know, not wearing your, the clothes you wear to the office and with your family and have to, 
manage that and deal with it in some way. Now, it's obviously incredibly different to have the possibility of, I don't know, seeing your therapist's online dating profile, for example. Um, but those sorts of dynamics and the interpersonal consequences of them have always been there. So I think the nice thing about studying blogs from the, from the perspective of attachment dynamics and, you know, people's comfort with intimacy is that even if blogging has changed and become social media, the attachment dynamics haven't changed. And so as a lens for understanding people's behavior, it, it's still very relevant. And in that way, it's, it's actually felt pretty natural to transition uh, my research into these other domains. A big difference for me with social media is just the ability to have followers. Well, I guess on blogs, you can have followers as well. But then this whole liking aspect or the need for approval. Yes. Um, how much have you seen that play into what what you're dealing with um, with clients or in your research. And I just want to add, yeah. I was thinking like there, there, there feels like there's much more real time interaction. Um, I think this was a, a quote by you that I read, but how, you know, we used to just go to sleep and now it's like while you're sleeping, mm-hmm. all this stuff is happening with your virtual self and that's what you wake up to. Yeah, I, totally. I think, I think that, um, that it, it contributes to a tremendous amount of pressure the idea that yourself is always in interaction, even when you might, you might be offline, so to speak, or sleeping or doing whatever. Um, and it sort of forces you to keep orienting away from the self and towards the, the external world and the other, which I think is, um, on a societal level is, is actually quite problematic because it's already difficult to be with ourselves. <laughs> There's already a lot of distractions <laughs> out there. Yes. And, um, and so, you know, the, the idea that, uh, especially, I think this is particularly problematic for kids who are being bullied uh, for kids in general, but particularly for kids who are being bullied in some way or being picked on through social media, because, then there's there's really no escape. So the research on, on bullying, on cyberbullying, is really quite concerning in that regard. Every day, I'm glad that I didn't have social media as a kid. Right? <laughs> yes, I uh, I often sit in the room with working with people, thinking like, "Wow, I'm really glad that I grew up." You know, yeah. one decade of you know, not, it's not even it's not that uh, far just a removed. few years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that that's very pressuring, uh, for people. And, and I think, you know, the question about likes is also, you know, a lot of people, I mean, I think neuroscience has gotten really popular in the, in the lingo. So everyone talks about dopamine rushes and, you know, and, and, but I think it's true, right? You get a dopamine rush when you go on your Instagram and you see you have a bunch of likes in the first two minutes that you posted something. And, uh, but then the opposite thing happens if you, if you, uh, I'm sorry, uh, someone, someone just opened their window right across from me and is naked, fully. <laughs> and you know what? That's the beauty of the real world, right? You know, like you don't know what's going to happen. Online, there are a lot of there are a lot of nude photos, but right. you got to search for them, and it's wow. not it's not a surprise. Oh, I it's love not New York fun, City. Like, you know? Middle of the day. Well, that's that's yeah. the first. I don't think I've that that, that I've ever had that before with, on this podcast. <laughs> I, I don't think that we should edit that out. At Definitely all. not. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Anywho. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think the opposite happens. So you know, if you if you go and you don't have likes on a picture that you you know you expected people to like or you needed them to because you really actually. You know, it was a picture that you were feeling insecure about in some way. Uh, you know, then the opposite thing happens, which is, you know, you've now started your day with these kind of subconscious feelings about yourself that you're that you're not valuable, that people don't love you, <laughs> that um, that people don't care about you, whatever whatever those anxieties are, whether they're conscious or not. And I think that um, you know the research on 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 social media in general, and I've done some research as well that, that has looked at this, particularly with Instagram, is that active social media use is better for people's mental health than passive social media use, right? So going on and making, tweaking your profile, doing something is much better for you than kind of going and just scrolling through people's stuff. <laughs> and because 
the experience of doing that is, is like taking in the best of what people have to show about themselves, but assuming that it's just people's lives. Um, and then coming away with a perception that's totally distorted about the world, right? Which is that everybody's on vacation or at the beach. Everybody's beautiful. <laughs> everybody's popular. And, you know, you're like, whatever, you're just having a normal day. And, uh, and it's hard not to, not to end up reacting to the feeling like, like other people, uh, are kind of having more exciting, interesting lives than you are. Um, and that's, and that's worse if you follow strangers than if you follow your friends. So the more people you follow that you don't know that, 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 that effect is enhanced. So do you kind of have like best practices for social media, given those points? I guess I would think there's, there's, there's the role of social media in relationships, which we haven't really talked about or romantic relationships. Let's go there. Yeah, let's go there. We want to hear all about it. <laughs> it's a funny like thing to do research about because academia is incredibly slow. Like ac academic research is a slow process, right? So it takes the minimum amount of time that you could possibly publish a study from the time that you just that you think about it to the time that you would publish it is probably a year and a half. You guys got to speed up that process. Right. So everything <laughs> is changing in 3.5. I mean, 42 billion apps were just created since we started talking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. So, you know, when, when I had a student who, who did this, who, who championed the study on Instagram in 2014, we were, it was the first study to ever be published on Instagram is huge. Uh, and but what was that study? Was it on depression, Lyra? That was looking at, yeah, the, and it actually it was, it was what I was just talking about. It's the association between, um, who you follow, right? Whether you follow strangers or your friends or the, the, per, the percentage of strangers versus your friends and how that affects the relationship between the, the amount of time you spend on Instagram, the way that you compare yourself to other people and depressive symptoms. In general, what the study found was that people who spend more time on social media um, and who follow strangers end up feeling like they're less popular or successful and attractive than other than the people that they follow. And that contributes to depressive symptoms. So that was that study. And when it came out, you know, it was, it was both this kind of really, it was very exciting because it was, it was cool to, to be Because it was a year and a half that. in the making. <laughs> but, right, but, but it wasn't anything that hadn't been all over the internet for, forever, right? <laughs> like, you could have read a HuffPost article about that two years earlier or something. So it's, a, it's like, obviously it's different to do a research project that, that actually validates what people are, are noticing and observing and talking about. It validates HuffPost article. <laughs> right. But it's, it's also not, it's, it doesn't end up feeling like an epiphany because it's something that people already knew. I think that knowing about the research allows you to take more control over your use rather than allowing it to control you. So the first thing I think is being aware of that your phone has so much control over you in ways that you do or don't realize. And the best way to figure that, to, to learn about that is to, is to take breaks from your phone for, you know, do a, do a 24 hour Sabbath from the phone and you'll learn a whole lot about, about what kind of hold emotionally and psychologically the phone has over you. Sidebar, I love that trend about, I'm Jewish, so I'm going to call it Shabbat, but I love that mm -hmm. trend of like the new Shabbat totally. is like yes. to not use technology. I haven't done it yeah. myself, but a lot of Jews are talking about it and I'm like, maybe mm -hmm. I should, but then like my phone pings. Well, it is in the Bible on the seventh day, God stopped checking Insta. Oh. <laughs> it is written. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for that contribution. <laughs> cool. Don't edit that out. That was wonderful. So you were talking about, you know, using your phone intentionally and things like that. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this movement that is afoot around design ethics and what role the developers right. play in designing technology to be less addictive and to lend itself to intentionality. I have a certain level of distrust of, towards the idea that, um, well, I should say, maybe I should say it differently. I don't think that we should rely on our designers of our technology to do the work for us. So I, I think that we need to kind of own for ourselves 
the responsibility to use the phone more intentionally. And I think that there's a certain element has to be about, uh, about putting it, putting it down. Actually, if you can't put the phone down during certain activities or during certain times, um, or, you know, decide to set a practice where you stop using your phone as your alarm clock, you buy an alarm clock and put the phone in a different room. And you know, it's not how you start your day. Uh, I think without setting those practices for yourself, it's uh, it's actually really difficult to um, to be intentional if the phone's always on you. Right. Uh, then I, th- I would say that on top of uh, finding ways to separate yourself from your phone and notice what it does, notice if it makes you anxious or um, like how it makes you feel. On top of that, then you can also be mindful of the way that you use your phone as well. I also, I'll say I developed a, I I wrote a paper, we developed a scale called the attachment to phone scale, which along the same attachment, I definitely get what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But it it looks at how people's attachment dynamics, like that, that, that what I was talking about earlier, attachment, anxiety, and avoidance, how that relates to the way that we, um, that we feel about our phones. Uh, and so people who, have higher levels of attachment anxiety and tend to feel, you know, more uh, anxiety and worry about the people that they're in relationships with. Um, it makes me uncomfortable to not have my phone on me, right? So the, the attachment actually transcends to the phone itself. And that people who have more avoidant attachment tend to endorse items that say, uh, like, I can't enjoy an activity as much if my phone is on me. So there's a way that, that they feel the emotional weight or the emotional burden of the device, of the phone, uh, that actually kind of contributes to not enjoying the moment as much. Uh, and I think that's interesting that we, that we sort of transcend our relational dynamics into our relationship with the device. Let's talk about texting and dating and relationships. Um, yes. Ali and I actually have a live show that we've been performing for a while. It's called How to Break Up by Text. The, mm-hmm. the goal of the show is to t- tell people not to break <laughs> up by text, um, uh-huh. but it's to start a conversation with a live audience uh, around their text breakups and try to like set some boundaries, rules, or just a group understanding of like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I love it. I love so, it. <laughs> yeah. So we're curious to know about your research in that realm and why do you think people are breaking up by text is because they're starting their relationships via text. Can you have a relationship started that way? What do you think? One of my undergraduate students actually recently uh, did his his undergraduate thesis and we published it, which was very cool on on texting similar the role of of how similarly you text to your partner um, and how that affects your your relationship satisfaction with your partner. So. In other words, if I like to text back and forth throughout the day to say hi, and my partner likes to text back and forth throughout the day to say hi, then then I'm more likely to be satisfied in that relationship. Um, but if we have different styles, then um, then that's going to contribute to to decrease satisfaction. So that's interesting, but it's also a little bit short sighted, right? Because it really doesn't privilege taking a step back and really thinking about what does it mean to be texting my partner back and forth all day long right how does that it means you're getting nothing done yeah. <laughs> all those dudes on Tinder, yes. they text me in the middle of the day and i'm like do you have a job totally like totally. i made my job I'm, up and i'm still busy right now i'm pretty oh judgmental if people do that in the middle of the day yeah yeah <laughs> you're, you are you're 100 right about that yes it, it definitely you. decreases productivity um but it also means that you get home to your partner and you've already told them everything and there's been no real separation. You know, part of what, how, what makes relationships work and, you know, think about like what it's like to go away, really go away, right? Go on vacation and come back to a romantic partner. And that reunion is a really, is a really exciting moment. And yeah, there's a great pink song about this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song by Pink. Anyway, continue. Go ahead. Do you want to? Do you want to sing it? Sing it. No, you know the one that's like, "Go away, come back, and I'll miss you." You know that, that one. <laughs> that one. Now that you sang it, I know it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So um, she's on. Um, but that exactly, and so there's that should be present in our relationships on a daily basis. You know, I think that to, and and you know, partners who work together, you know, sort of unrelated to the internet, but who work together all day long, have to work to create something that kind of separates out the, the fact that they just spent the whole day working with their partner and now they're home with their partner 
And how do you kind of contribute or, or uh, how do Jen you... Jen pointed to us as though we were lovers who went home together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have separate well, so you... apartments, just so you know. <laughs> so there you go. Now you, you guys spend the day together, but not the night together. Right. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, <laughs> well, we, can, we can have a different kind of conversation here. <laughs> There's a naked help. man in your window. <laughs> Anyway, um, I think that we have to find ways to preserve specialness in our relationships. And it's very hard to do that when we've been sort of in nonstop contact all day long. Um, and it's not just about the content, right? It's not just about like, I know what happened throughout your day. It's like, I know what happened throughout your day, but I learned about it in a disembodied, disconnected way, right? Where, where I was like, you were telling me something exciting that just happened in your day while I was doing eight other things and I couldn't see your face and I couldn't look at you and I couldn't share that moment with you. It also seems to me that couples are having important relationships, including breakup relationships in this medium, just because it seems easier. Do you see a lot of that? Even, Even like the, I love you conversation, you know? Yes. I think that there are, there are, there are serious downsides to having conversations about, um, more serious matters or sort of fighting in any way over text. But on the other hand, I also think that for some people, texting offers a medium where they can share feelings, right? So there are some people who can say, I'm really mad at you over text, but would never be able to say it in person. And I want to make space in this conversation for, for recognizing that, right? That, that for some people, this really feels uh, like, uh, like the, the ideal space for that. We want to sort of recognize that without judging it, but also think about the importance on a bigger, again, on a bigger societal level of, of our, what are we doing in our society to contribute to that being this thing that's easier because it's less confrontational being becoming the norm of, of the way that people operate. Right. So if, if kids grow up doing that, texting each other when they're upset rather than talking about it, then nobody's ever going to get good at it because it's hard to do for everybody to some degree. Right. That's what I was sort of wondering. Yeah. It's like nice that there's this space for people who are uncomfortable speaking up, but then it's like, really, should we be taught to speak up? It also just makes me think about how education prepares us for nothing. Like I think (laughs) that when we go to school, there should be a class on taxes there should be a class on, yes. on speaking up for yourself and on mm-hmm. this avoidant, anxious stuff and also on investing. Yeah, amen. <laughs> and 401ks. <laughs> Related, but yeah. Yeah, relationship. You got relationships. I'm trying to think of other. <laughs> yeah, like what? What did we? What? Did, what did we learn? I mean, I'm glad I Real learned estate. to write. <laughs> yeah. Real estate. Yes, mortgages. Yeah. Loans totally. from the bank. Totally. They should yeah. all be classes in school, and now they need to have classes on texting and when you should text and when you should not text, and then the the technology yes. Sabbath. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, it's actually all jokes aside, like the research supports what you're saying, and not necessarily about the taxes part, but about the, um, the idea, like our focus on... No, research supports that. We need classes on taxes. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, we'll work on that. Um, But it also supports the idea that, that, um, that the kind of focus that we have in our society, the focus on academic skills and the absence of the focus on life skills and interpersonal skills, cooperation, you know, that we can, it's much easier to, to teach that second set of skills and to cultivate it. Um, like it's much easier to, to, to enhance people's capacity for cooperation and leadership than it is to raise their IQ, for example. But we spend all of our time in the domain of, of, you know, verbal academic stuff and very little in the domain of, of, of practical life skills for, for being with people, which are much more predictive of success in life. So wait, that was fascinating about the IQ part. Wow. But okay, I want to bring this around to something crazy. I saw that you authored a paper on condomless sex and sexting. What the fuck was that? Uh, that paper, I guess you would say was about the, the slippery slope 
<laughs> no pun intended. Of, um, yeah. of sexting. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just just thought of that. Like, um, do people who sext have more condomless sex? So what? That was also a study that looked at attachment. So it was it, it, but it did show that for people with an avoidant attachment style, again, people who are kind of more uh, more hesitant around intimate relationships and tend to keep some distance and and focus more on, uh, on are more self-reliant is the word I was looking for, are more self-reliant tend to engage in more sexting. So there was already research that showed that. Uh, and that's interesting because, um, it's not necessarily intuitive, but it does make sense if you think about it, that, um, that this is a way to sort of have some kinds of intimacy needs met, but in a way that's kind of at a distance again that makes sense for avoiding attachment and so I looked at what's the what's the role of attachment dynamics both attachment anxiety and attachment avoidance uh, in predicting sexting and how does that then relate to the likelihood to engage in condomless sex research su- suggests that particularly for adolescents kids and adolescents that once they engage in sexting it is like a slippery slope to engaging in actual sexual practices um, and feeling more like if it, it kind of feels more like you've already you've already let's say maybe you already agreed to do something or maybe you already hinted that you were going to do something and now there's a feeling like you are expected to do that thing uh in real life as well um so it's sexting has this kind of mirage effect of both feeling really not serious at all but then ultimately making you feel more committed to an action that you've been that you've been implying or joking about or talking about. Um, and I think in that way, sexing can be dangerous. And what my study was looking at is how that, that, that relationship between sexting and engaging in, in risky sexual behavior is affected by the psychological constructs of attachment and emotional regulation. What that study found is that people who have more anxious attachment, right, tend to feel more worried about closeness in their relationships will will sext in moments of emotional dysregulation or upset, right? So sexting becomes kind of a way to regulate the self uh, in a moment when you're upset, but then the effects of that may, be, may end up leading to behaviors that you didn't necessarily want to do or weren't intending to do in the first place. It's a, the, the relationship with attachment avoidance is, is, is similar, although it's rather than being in moments when you know you're upset, it, uh, sexting will happen more in moments where you're not really aware of your emotions, which tends to go along with attachment avoidance is like not being necessarily fully aware of what, of what you're feeling in the moment. So, you know, the big, the bigger point of that study is, is to, you know, or to kind of move away from the specific research constructs is to, is to say that we use texting to regulate our emotional states a lot, right? So we use texting to regulate states of boredom. We use texting to regulate states of upset. Um, but then when we do that, we're not really thinking about the implications of, of what, what that texting will, will sort of where that will land us, whether it will land us in a fight and confrontation that we didn't really want to be in with a friend, something that we wouldn't have been in if we were, you know, if we hadn't had the texting in the first place, or in the case of that study, if it ends up landing us in a situation where we are where we're engaging in sexual behaviors that we weren't necessarily feeling, you know, fully in control of. This is sad. (laughs) (laughs) People need to be taught to just stick up for themselves. Yeah. It just surprises me. It's an interesting to have this in the, in the, you know, in the, in the wake of the me too movement, which the study was done before that. But, um, you know, as a therapist, my role is to not tell my, you know, tell the person I'm working with, you know, what to do, right. But to kind of help them get to that place themselves, but to listen to the, the commonality of, um, of young women engaging in sex that they didn't necessarily want to, but, uh, but with a feeling like they, like it's expected or it's just part of what they're supposed to do. Or, you know, even in the middle of the Me Too movement, um, it's really, I think that the, the role of sexting and phones is huge in, the, in that process. Um, like it's so easy to end up, you know, making or getting pulled into a booty call with a, when you have a phone with you at midnight and you're out and you're drinking. Right. 
which I feel like is fine if you want to go to that booty call. Totally. But this, like, totally. pressure. The totally. condom with yeah. sex thing always blows my mind. Blows Jen my and mind. I were just talking about this. Like, dudes are always pressuring you to have sex without a condom, and you're like, why do you want to fuck me without a condom? I could be disease-ridden. Right. <laughs> you yes. don't know. Yes. Like, people who have tried to have sex with me without a condom have not, not one of them has asked if I'm on birth control. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. nuts. And I never let yeah. them. I never let them. Good, good for you. I, I, uh, if I was your therapist, I would be breathing a sigh of relief inside of my head and be Thank really you. happy about that. I mean, I also just am like so astounded. I'm like, you can leave now. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. You know, I get into those moments a lot, those discussion of those moments, I should say, with people about, you know, so why is it that you used a condom the first time you had sex, but you didn't use a condom the second time you had sex? And it's always some you know, sort of some variation of like, well, you know, I said I wanted to use it the first time and like he agreed, but then the second time, you know, I also, I didn't want to upset him or he didn't seem to be happy about it or, you know, all this, all this stuff that's like just not discussed. And what's really interesting is in the gay community, there's, um, this is, so there's been some really interesting intervention, text-based interventions, uh, that have to do with helping gay men uh, ask directly about HIV status via text to their sexual partners. Um, Because in the gay community, there's a tendency to make assumptions that, um, that that information will have been shared about HIV status. And the assumption works in both directions. There's an assumption that if you're HIV positive, that you would have said, and there's an assumption that if you're HIV negative, you would have said. So there have been some very, a little bit of research on interventions that help men ask, use texting to ask their partners about HIV status. So, and, and that, that, that actually produces outcomes in terms of the, the use of condoms or not. Is there one more final thought you would like to share about best practices or something our listeners should really think about? Um, you know, one thing that I've been, I have, I've had a couple interviews lately about is, is managing social media during breakups. I delete them from everything. They're dead to me. I think that's great. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm only half kidding. I actually I think practice that... safe sex and everybody's dead to me if we break up. <laughs> and, and I, and I terminate all of my exes. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think it's actually really important to, um, like in, in a culture where separation is not built in and is hard to achieve because of social media, I think it's really important to honor the importance of separation and like true distance, real distance when you're going through a breakup, obviously, you know, this is not always true, but often it is much more effective and more kind to the self to go through a breakup uh, where you don't have to know and see every single thing that that the ex is doing, which, you know, in situations where, where, where you don't have a ton of friends in common and that kind of thing, it used to be a lot more possible and, you know, easier to achieve. And I'm, I'm always surprised by the number of people, uh, that feel guilty, um, in the aftermath of a breakup blocking or unfriending, uh, or unfollowing somebody, the, the, the ex, uh, so I'm, I'm always struck and, I, you know, obviously that could just be its own sort of it can be an excuse, but I also think people really feel like that's mean. And so I think if there's a way to uh, talk about that when you're in a breakup situation uh, and, and establish and maybe to establish societally that it is not mean to unfollow the person that you just broke up with, it's just preserving the self and making space for yourself to kind of mourn and have the process that you need to have. And it doesn't mean you hate the person yeah, well, I think what's hard is the things that aren't quite relationships. It's like we went out a few times. One person's really hard, hurt. The other person thinks it's no big deal. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. disconnect. in relationships, for sure, I tell the dude, you're dead to me. Like, I'm deleting you from my phone. I'm unfollowing. I'm blocking you on all accounts. I'm deleting, like, you're, I'm blocking your Gmail. It's going to spam. Like, you're dead. <laughs> wow. Your digital identity has died. Digitally dead. Yeah. Well, we're going to honor... Um, I love that sentence you said, honor the importance of separation, and see ya. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. 
dirt bag. Everybody's a dirt bag. You're either avoidant or you're anxious or a little bit of both. I actually don't entirely understand those terms. And once again, I think that we should teach them in schools. I think so, too. Yeah, we're like not taught self-awareness or interpersonal relationships or anything. And if we just Any actual about skills it. that people need are not taught in school. Well, OK, I, I think reading, writing and math is great. People should definitely learn that. Baseline, yes. <laughs> but then you get into calculus and you're like, what the fuck? How am I ever going to use this? I took calculus, guys. I want you to know I got a five on my calculus AP exam. Whoa. Yeah, I was I rocked calculus. I hated every moment of it. I had to study so hard because I hate math. Um, and now I remember absolutely nothing. Yeah, that was the one class I dropped <laughs> because I knew it was going to bring me down so much that I just shouldn't even go there. My mom made me take it. Yeah, she did. And then recently I was doing a video where I wanted to make a math joke and like write all this shit on the board and then have it be like really simple, basically. But I didn't even know. I was like, uh. cosine, sine. I don't know what else to write. Yep. here. <laughs> I wrote the limit does not exist like nine times. That's a oh, mean man. girls reference. That has nothing to do oh, with my calculus man. days. But yeah, you're right. We should be taught these really basic things. I think in terms of how we relate to each other, how to have productive conversations. And dudes should be taught um, that they want to wear condoms. We should all wear condoms, guys. Just PSA. Well, I, I agree. Yeah. with you 100 percent except for the condom part except for the condom part. <laughs> God. but how do you think you got two kids <laughs> <laughs> where i get stuck poking holes i'm sorry what Allie, stop <laughs> don't do that that's a horrible thing i just figured out oh, what you meant man. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out yeah. what it meant because he has never dated yeah. they met in high school okay Wait, what does that mean i'm wearing the condom but no, Matt, this is a thing. It's really horrible. It's a thing called stealthing where these dudes believe that, like, women exist. To, I mean, it's actually really oh, that's dark. A, it's a really dark. dark. Yeah. So they poke holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But or I'm they remove it, like, during. It's really fucked up. Most guys do not want to... Uh, to make that commitment is what I'm saying. Right, I right, would right, imagine. Right, 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 right. So that's just not a normal. Which is why it's not. Can we get off the condom? Dog? What was Matt? What were you going to say? I know. It made my me question, really upset. My okay. question was, uh, yes, we need to teach this to kids. But I wonder if school is the venue. Because could you imagine a yeah, teacher being like, okay, kids, here's how to text well, and not text. It's like, yeah. get no, up, but, fuck but you. But maybe psychology, that kind of stuff, there should be a really basic course in high school like we take I mean, biology like we and we take I, I recall taking a psych class in oh, high school I didn't. but it was very obviously psych 101 of like yeah. here's the brain and neurons and okay, here's yeah. emotions it wasn't about interpersonal and so I guess my question uh, yeah. is whose job is it to teach interpersonal relationships and I kind of feel like it's the parent it's the parent but mm. also it's just mm. live in life like you can't right. teach how to be a human person through with a textbook is my thought. Sure. And I don't know the answer to that. You can't do it with a textbook. There are some kids learning empathy these days. There's some empathy training being put in place. I, it seems awkward, but I think they take a baby into classrooms. <laughs> yeah. And then there's what? like an empathy adult trainer who like helps the children learn how to interact with this helpless child and, and see and like be more aware of their own reactions. Yeah, well, isn't there it. a joke how back in, I didn't do this, but like back in the 80s or whatever, you would you would have to care for. I did it. You you take a fake baby or for an egg but but yeah. i don't think that teaches empathy i think think that teaches yeah. like responsibility. basic responsibility yeah you've summed it up empathy is is the is the singular word that i think is the umbrella over everything we are talking about which is like we can't fully experience or communicate the empathy that makes us human through text and so how do we compensate for that if everything's digital but right. i also think something that could be taught in a classroom and, and with a textbook and interactive act activities is there are conflict resolution yes. tactics and techniques and it's actually kind of insane that people grow up not knowing them mm -hmm. well we've recently learned about some yeah that are really interesting that people tend to resort to they call it like silence or violence when they're put in a defensive position mm -hmm. they get quiet or they'll lash out but also okay. things like contrasting and like acknowledging the way to the, respond to it yeah. yeah there are like proven things that are helpful ways to have like safe conversations and I think it'd be so much easier to do it if you grew if you up with knew. that as opposed to learning it as an adult yeah I had like supplemental program growing up like where we would meditate in class or we learn about drugs really? and alcohol those sorts of oh yeah. well you know one of my favorite jamula stories is yes, that jen I was, was in her drug and alcohol dance troupe i <laughs> drug and alcohol free dance yeah troupe. that's true <laughs> i was we i was in the we drug and alcohol wasted. dance troupe <laughs> <laughs> i was the programming yeah no it's true <laughs> So I think that can't exist in schools. I think the assumption is that parents are teaching it, but the reality is that most aren't. And yeah. you can't. Like, you're kind of saying that. Like, you need to experience some of it. That's my thing. The minute you sort of 
Can you formalize it into a curriculum? But Kids are, are like, nah, whatever. No, but we are undervaluing the the impact that role playing mm. and that kind of experiential education can provide, as opposed to just a textbook. Yeah, the things I remember. I, I think you guys will agree with me. I remember very little from high school, but what I do remember, I remember is projects of like when I had to use my brain and creativity to make something. Mm-hmm. I remember having that thing in the process that it was. And then experiential, which was like putting on a play or being in acting class or being in music. Like that was that was constructive as opposed to like, here's a thing, learn it, repeat it over and over again until you know it and then forget it instantly. Right. And I worry if we curriculatize. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a word now. Yeah. curriculumize uh, empathy it's just going to be one of those things that is like uh, okay whatever that was but so again maybe it's it's got to be a very creative and sort of fluid not to beating people over the head with it yeah Yeah. like just and more than the playground like them just interacting on the play it needs to be formalized in some way but it can't be over curriculumized so hard it's curriculatized yeah Uh, but uh, I leave that to the educators because I don't I don't know how to package that for kids. Listeners, we leave it to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have another I have a question for the listeners. So I was really intrigued, although I've heard it before about I've heard it before and I've done nothing about it. Now I'm kind of inspired to do something. But the um, technology Sabbath. Do any mm. of you do it? I would love to hear if people have a specific uh separation detox habit that they do like oh i leave my phone outside the bedroom when i go to sleep or if you have any tips we haven't heard about you can tweet us i'm at ali gold i'm at june bugger that's that's it that's all i'd figure it out um anyway (laughs) we would love to hear those tips just because like we're talking it's kind of uh, the brave new world wild wild west we don't know what best practices are really yet we have an idea so what do you do i think part of the problem with the sabbath thing i always feel weird saying sabbath because i was always trained to say shabbat but same exact thing so uh yeah is that until a large amount of people are doing it we live in a world where people are like why didn't you respond to me or like you know what i mean that's true you have some backlash for putting it away yeah like on a friday night if some friends text me like hey where are you and i just don't respond at all till the next day it is considered kind of rude nowadays if it's a good friend um who thought like maybe we're gonna meet up or you know what i mean so it's but i think more people start doing it you can be the one the brave one the pioneer pioneer. i'm not a pioneer i take no actions (laughs) myself i just observe (laughs) but in in my more recent life i've observed this thing where it's like if you take the leap and say, I just don't check my phone, especially in the workplace of like you work at a company. You guys don't know. But if you work at a company where you're getting emails <laughs> I love you, you don't at know. like 10 o'clock, if you just never respond to those emails, they stop coming. That's true. No, because Jen's tried that with me and I, I keep emailing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true with everyone except Allie. <laughs> but I have to say, and I think actually where there's a disconnect between us is I'm, I send them late because I'm like, ooh, I have an idea. I want to write it down. Totally. And then it's like I could save it as a draft or I could just send it. But I don't mind if it's not if they, if they there's no response exactly. for a and while. Exactly, and that's totally cool. But I think when I email you, you feel like you have to respond and I stress you out. But actually, just so you know, on air, you don't have to respond right away. It's on the record. <laughs> I've, I've learned this over time. Same with text, that if it's too late at night, I won't respond. I don't I'll, feel I'll pressure the next day. I'll send shit at Saturday night. But people don't need to respond till Monday morning. Right. right. Just, but there know. it is. It's that communication of like you both acknowledge to each other. I mean, this is a silly example. You guys know each other. But like just saying, like, nope, hey, I'm going to text you at 10 when I have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole thing. And it's very, it's big Two in the world. Two strangers, workplace. one podcast. <laughs> well, that's a show. That's a great show. Yeah. Uh, kinda, yeah that's you just bring two random people off the street to like talk. Yeah. That'd be fun. Uh, no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Sure good ideas. <laughs> um, uh, cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let us know what you think about all of this. Um, you know our Twitters. <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter twatters. You know at our Allie handles. Go. At uh, June Becker. I just said at Ali Go. That's not it. <laughs> at Golden Snatch. At Ali Gold. Oh my God! I wish my Twitter handle was you at Golden Snatch. It. I should go see if that exists. You should change it. Um, no, because I'm gonna only get spam bots if my thing is Golden Snatch. <laughs> you can right, change your name, not your handle. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. Hashtag safe sex. You can also email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com or you can call us. And that number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. You can also chat with us in our Discord room where we're having some chats with y'all that are really exciting. That's um, discord.gg slash 2G1P. And finally, you can contribute to the success of this podcast on our Patreon. Allie, what's that URL? Patreon.com slash 2G1P. How it works, if you're not familiar, is you give a contribution that recurs on a monthly basis. So even if you just contribute $1, you get charged every month. And it's awesome for us. (laughs) So please consider that. Because as you know, in the trivia episode, we didn't win the Trader Joe's gift card. So... If we you could help us gotta out get there. that chana masala this week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I need it. They have this um, kale and coleslaw thing I'm really into. I love Trader Joe's. Um, all right, y'all. We'll catch you next time. I feel like the ending of this show went like this. See you next time. to new episodes of Two Girls, One Podcast one week early. What is this sorcery? Just download the free TuneIn app and fire up Two Two Girls, Girls, One Podcast to get fresh episodes one week before your loser friends. (laughs) Your friends are so lame for being one week behind. I know, right? Wait, what's the catch? There's no catch. TuneIn lets you listen to awesome podcasts. Like ours. One week before anywhere else. Absolutely free. Whoa, dude. The next episode of the show is probably already there. Yo, this is some freaky time traveling shit. I'm going to listen to next week's show so I can find out what we're going to say. Technology is weird. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.